Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha Radel gives us a primer on caucusing and Minnesota's role in picking the next president. Mike Grimm previews Golden Gophers spring football, and I talk to the author of a great new biography on beloved Minnesota band The Replacements. But first, Super Tuesday is coming up fast when politically active people in 14 states, including Minnesota, hold caucuses to weigh in on their preferences for president. MNN's Bill Werner joins us. Bill, how important is this? It's plenty important, Scott, because delegates to the Republican and Democratic national conventions are up for grabs, and Minnesota is among the states that the presidential hopefuls have been giving attention. We asked Hamlin University political science professor David Schultz to put the Super Tuesday caucuses in perspective for us. How important are these in the final run to the presidency? Well, they are very important for a couple of reasons. First, that we're going to see approximately 25 to 30 percent of all the delegates for both the Democratic and Republican parties um, allocated on Super Tuesday. So, so this is pretty big just in terms of the sheer numbers. But also, the Super Tuesday was really originally meant to be a, a date or a period where it would really winnow out candidates. It would be sort of the contest that says that, okay, these, these states across the country are going to really sort of make a decision who's the most viable candidate or candidates. And we're going to see that this year also, that, that if, for example, you know, Donald Trump or a Ted Cruz or a Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders, if they pull ahead very far in, in, um, on Super Tuesday, that's just about going to cement the ability of those candidates um, to really go on to win the nomination. So, so this is very critical. It's, it's, a, it's almost a do-or-die, if I can use that expression, or a make-or-break day for the candidates. In the sense of not only not only being able to lock in a significant number of delegates, but just a momentum, an indication of momentum one way or the other? Yeah, it's going to be. Although, although with so many states in play, um, if, if, for example, um, a candidate or candidates within the Republican or Democratic Party divide, let's say out of those 12 or so states, we walk away with several of the candidates you know, winning you know, some states, others winning another, um, it might be indecisive. But, if, for example, if a Donald Trump um, um, were to, you know, just about run the table at that point and do very, very well, um, that would be a pretty significant in terms of you know, solidifying that momentum. Conversely, I think, again, staying with Donald Trump, for example, here, um, he's, he's now won three of the first four contests you know, for, for the Republicans. The Ted Cruz's and the Rubio's of the world have to, have to slow him down on Super Tuesday, because if they don't, um, the momentum is going to continue. So they're looking for momentum. They are looking for something to change the dynamic of the race. And certainly the, the Republican Party establishment, at least if, we, if news reports, if we were to take news reports at the value, um, that they are, are wanting to see Rubio move forward because uh, Trump is, it seems to be giving them some problems in a number of areas. Uh, what do they really need to do to get that to happen, to get, get Rubio up, up to, to second place or, or, or even a, a credible challenger uh, uh, to Donald Trump? 
Well, first off, what they have to do is, or what Rubio has to do is obviously win several contests and start amassing a lot of delegates. That's the, that's the easy answer, um, yeah. because he's not come in first anywhere yet. You know, he is, what, third in Iowa? What was it, like fifth or sixth in New Hampshire? Right. Um, um, you know, came in, you know, a, a second in Nevada and what is it, I think a third or a third in, in South Carolina. So so he's he's not won anything yet. So he actually has to win something. And he's got to walk away, you know, from Super Tuesday, I think, with several victories in several states. Otherwise, I think his fortunes are going to rapidly fade. And so I think that's what he needs. That's what he needs to do. Now, what can the Republican mainstream do? Right. I think what they're doing isn't helping him. Really, um, hmm. and this is interesting because you know we're seeing a lot of people, including, for example, former Minnesota Governor Pawlenty, endorse Rubio, um, and I think that actually works to Donald Trump's advantage in a kind of a perverse way because Donald Trump is running as the sort of the insurgent Republican candidate running against the establishment, and more and more as more and more establishment Republicans are are endorsing him. You know, whether it's Mitt Romney, it is it is Governor. Haley from South Carolina, um, Tim Pawlenty, whoever it may be, I think that actually reinforces and invigorates even more uh, Donald Trump's Donald Trump's base and that image that he's taking on the establishment. So, so I think that the establishment Republican Party is is in a quandary. If they do nothing, Donald Trump seems to be doing well. If they go after him, he responds. And if they endorse his his um, his rivals, I think that invigorates his base. I think the establishment Republican Party um, is, is has, has just about lost control of the Republican Party, and they may not be the establishment anymore. They may be the outsiders. Let's move over to the Democrats. Um, it, it seems to be between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. What what do uh, what do each of them need to do to uh, uh, get the race running their way? Well. I think for Hillary Clinton, she would love nothing better than to come out of Super Tuesday winning you know, most of the states. And she's going to win quite a we were, we're suspecting she's going to win quite a few, you know, that she's going to do quite well you know, in, in several different states. So I think what she wants to do is to amass a lot of delegates um, and, and show that she really, really, is the front, really is the front runner at this point. Because right now, if we were to exclude the super delegates who are pledged to to Hillary Clinton, if um, or we're saying they're going to go for Hillary Clinton right now, after the first three contests, Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, pledge delegates between Clinton and Sanders, they're tied at 51. They are dead even. And if we look at probably the actual number of votes cast for Clinton versus Sanders, Sanders is probably ahead. And so, if we, so, I think at this point, um, if we didn't have the super delegates, this. Um, Sanders is, is uh, Sanders is dead even with Clinton. She's fighting for her life. I think at this point, what she wants to do is to really create some significant distance at this point by winning quite a few states. Obviously, I think Sanders wants to blunt that, and there are several states that he's probably going to win on election on, on, on Super Tuesday. He looks very good in his own home state, of, of course, of Vermont. Um, he's he's projected to win in Massachusetts, a very populous state. He's projected to perhaps win in in West Virginia, and so so I think he's hoping to, to sort of come out of out of there with certainly not winning every state, but winning quite a few. And I think he would love to be able to pick up Minnesota also as a state that he could add to his column. 
That's Hamlin University's David Schultz. So here we go, Scott, the first big event in Minnesota on the way to November 8th. It should be a fun week and a fun lead-up to the November elections. Thank you, Bill. Up next, Tasha Radel takes a look at why caucusing in Minnesota matters. That's when Minnesota Matters returns. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Super Tuesday is a big deal in Minnesota this year. MNN's Tasha Radel recently caught up with Secretary of State Steve Simon for the full picture. Thanks, Scott. Secretary Simon, not everyone understands how the caucuses actually work. Can you explain? This coming Tuesday is really the kickoff of the political season where we have these precinct caucuses throughout the state. So if anyone in your audience affiliates, generally speaking, with a political party, and it can be the two major parties, or it can be the Green Party or the Independence Party or the Libertarian Party, then they ought to consider going to the caucuses. And what it is, is it's basically a town hall style, neighborhood style meeting, where a couple of things happen. First, people select a candidate for president that they prefer. It's kind of a preference ballot. It's not a formal style ballot like on a real election day. And then secondly, they can make their voices heard on particular issues. Um, Usually people come there with things called resolutions, which are a written statement. It can be a sentence. It can be a page uh, of things they want in a party platform. But frankly, most people in a year like this want to get in, express a preference for a presidential candidate, and probably get out pretty quickly. And they can do that regardless of the party. They're all at the same time, 7 p.m. Tuesday, March 1st. And if anyone is interested in more information about what happens at a caucus or, more importantly, where to go, they can go to our website at mnvotes.org. That's mnvotes.org. And we have a caucus finder there so people can input their address and figure out where physically they need to go. And, you know, you talked a little bit about the presidential preference poll. Now, is this binding or how does that work? Well, that's very interesting. So it's binding in this sense. The two major parties, the DFL party and the Republican party, will be allocating uh, uh, delegates to their national convention based in large part on what happens on Tuesday night. Um, There are some wrinkles and exceptions to that, but basically speaking, it's not a winner-take-all system where whoever wins the state or gets the most votes gets all the delegates. They're pretty much apportioned in some fair way based on candidate strength. And so I think you're going to see that in both of the major parties uh, as they lead up ultimately to their national nominating conventions, which will pick the nominee. And, you know, Minnesota's a little bit different, and I know every state kind of has their, their own system, but can you explain the, the primary then? So we caucus first, we have the state conventions, and then I believe the primary's in August, correct? That's right. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it might seem a little complicated to some people, and I totally understand that. So for presidential selection, the primary in August this year uh, is meaningless because the decisions will already have been made. I think the party conventions are in July and August this year. So that decision will have been done. What the primary this August will be for is winnowing the field uh, within political parties where there's more than one candidate for an office. So let's say the office is state senator in a particular area, and there are two or three Republicans running or two or three Democrats running. The primary is the process used to winnow the candidates down to one so that there's only one Democratic Party or Republican Party nominee for an office. But when it comes to the presidency, the one and only place to be felt and to be heard is on Tuesday night, Super Tuesday, precinct caucuses. And, and can you explain, um, does it matter, do you have to be 18 to caucus, I guess? Is that how that actually, works? Actually, no. Um, in Minnesota, if you're 17, but you will be 18 by the time of the November general election, then you can participate just as anyone else can. You can vote for the presidential preference. You can engage in, uh, in the resolutions process. You can do all that stuff. And, and another interesting wrinkle is that, you know, you don't have to be registered to vote. To participate in a caucus, you just have to be eligible to vote, meaning 18 years uh, old or older, a citizen of the United States, a resident of that particular area, uh, not currently serving a felony sentence. And if those things are true, anyone can go to a caucus. And will you be posting the results of the presidential preference poll uh, on Super Tuesday? Yeah, we definitely will. And that's really the key role that our office plays. We don't run the caucuses and we don't police them in terms of procedure and rules. That's really left to the political parties themselves to run those. But what we do is on uh, the night of the caucuses, we will be at some point, hopefully soon, I'm guessing certainly by about nine o'clock, we'll be posting the results. And the results are only as good and only as accurate as what we get from the political parties. We're not there on the ground monitoring things. Um, We get uh, information from the parties and then we post that on our website so folks can see how people voted in those preference polls or, or preference ballots for president. And, you know, once again, uh, for folks that want to find out where they can go caucus on Super Tuesday, can you give us that address again? Absolutely. We have our elections uh, page on our website, which is mnvotes.org, mnvotes.org. There's information about the process, about what to expect at a caucus, and maybe most importantly, where to actually physically go, depending on where you live. Back to you, Scott. Thanks, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Mr. Detweiler, it's time to wake up, Mr. Detweiler. Hey, Mr. Detweiler, how are we doing? Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. 
you have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota sports fans are traditionally quite excited about the Twins starting with spring training baseball this past week. It signals a fresh start on the sports calendar. Another rite of spring all across the country is the college football spring practice period, and that holds true for the University of Minnesota as well. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm joins us now, and Mike, the Golden Gophers begin spring ball this coming Tuesday? That's correct, Scott, and to add to the storyline, the fact is this will be the first spring practice session with Tracy Clays as the head coach and as you'd guess he's excited. We're all healthy we, we've got uh, you know the the kids have uh, got their strength back and, and a lot of them have gained some weight you know gained uh, you know the thing is you know, I think it's good weight when you gain the the six to twelve pounds in there and, and that's what a lot of them have done nobody's really just jumped up and gained a whole bunch and and but uh I see their energy. I know they're in a better shape than they've been because the energy as they go through workouts and how they've competed. We changed a couple of the drills on Fridays where you compete and thought those drills need to be a little bit more physical and, and uh, I get the road grader toughness approach that we've been talking about. And and so the kids have handled those uh, those awfully well. And so uh, now we're excited. we got to take those same things and, and we need to see some of those things on, on the football field. You mentioned the health. Uh, one guy who maybe won't start spring is is the most high-profile guy probably on the team. The quarterback always seems to be Mitch Leitner. Can you give us an update on maybe what your plan is for him here in the spring and how maybe he's progressing from that foot surgery? You know, I mean, if you ask him, he'll be in pads and ready to go. I mean, that's, that's just the way that, that Mitch is, and he's a great competitor. But, uh, you know, he, he may get into just a few group drills and stuff like that, but, but he won't take any team reps and – and we're going to be really careful on that so it doesn't get set back because the time after spring ball, all of a sudden as coaches, we can't be around so much in that, and you need your leaders around, and we need him healthy for that time of the year. So we won't take any chances on that. And Like I said, it gives Demery a chance. It gives Seth Green a chance to, to develop as a quarterback. Um, but uh, he, he'll be a pain for me because he'll be in there every day wanting to do a little bit more and a little bit more. That's the kind of attitude certainly you want, I would think, though, from, from any position, but certainly the quarterback spot. You mentioned the, the staff changes. I want to start on that side of the football with Jay Johnson now coming in as, as the new offensive coordinator uh, and, of course, Bart Miller coming in as the offensive line coach. What kind of things have you seen there? Is your excitement level still where it was when uh, you brought those two gentlemen on board? Yeah, you know, is that uh, I spend a lot more time in the offensive meetings and, and to see what's going on. And, and you just get more and more excited when you're around those guys is that, uh, you know, they're all they're very adaptive. I mean, the things, the terminology that, that they felt like they could keep so the kids didn't have to relearn, they've done that and made those adjustments. And, and, uh, and then, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of good points there, you know, is that uh, Coach Johnson's like, 
you know, what personnels you're going to be needs to be determined off of who your 11th, 12th, 13th best player is, you know, rather than just say we're going to run this personnel. And, and so, you know, it'll be more like say, I think we'll do a better job of, of putting kids in positions that they do best. And that should make us a better football team. And then, you know, Coach Miller is that he was hired because of the, we need to be more aggressive and, and toughness on the running game. And, and uh, I really think that uh, the kids have bought into that. And, uh, you know, with, we haven't had been able to do a lot and nothing with pads. And, and uh, so we'll know once we get out here to practice. But uh, I do think that they're prepared mentally, like say, by us changing some competition drills and making it more physical and, and how hard that group has, has worked is that I'm excited to, to see them. And, and, uh, and you know, that's, that's the one position that, you know, that we have to have come along and, and play better for us to, to uh, compete for the Big Ten defensive side of the football maybe the transition is not as as much because it's a pretty much guys you're familiar with Jay Salvell elevated uh, to defensive coordinator the spot you had and Dan O'Brien added to the defensive backfield spot so I'm assuming that that's been fairly seamless in that transition it has been but same time you know is that they got to know like uh, uh, coach Salvell is that you know he needs to be his own person I mean I think kids can tell if you're not and and so he'll he'll have some things that'll be his own personality and and uh, so they've run some things by me that uh, that they would like to see us do, and that's springs for again. You know, spring football is a great time. You get to go out and and uh, you get to practice, you get to play football without the pressure, preparing for a game, and uh, and and you get to evaluate kids. And and so uh, I'm excited about a couple things that that uh, Jay wanted to do. Um, um, in addition to what we were doing, and maybe we'll we'll throw some of the other stuff out because I, I you know I don't want to do too much. Last question: When April 9th comes, the spring game, the spring scrimmage is all done. Is there one or two, three things maybe that all right? I want to have that accomplished by by the end of the spring period. You know, I mean, number one is obviously is, is our best five offensive linemen and where they're going to be: offensive tackle, guard, whatever. And and you need more than five, but. You know, I'm not going to be too greedy, and by the time we get through fall camp, we'll worry about where everybody else is going to plug in. But that's probably the number one thing is find out those those five guys up front that give us the best chance to do what they can do. And then number two would be offensively is those kids being comfortable with all the new terminology and and uh, you know from signals to what we're going to do. You know, there's we're not going to do wristbands anymore. You know, everything's going to be from the quarterback or signals. And, and so I, I want them to be able to do that without thinking, get the thinking out of the game from the changes we've made. That's Gopher football coach Tracy Clays on Minnesota Matters. Scott, back to you. Thanks, Mike. More Minnesota Matters after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911, F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague 
teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The Replacements are a now more or less defunct Minnesota band whose music runs the gamut from loud, obnoxious, fast, and profane to insightful, thoughtful, pretty, and profound. It's been a long time since the group's peak in the 80s, yet their music has stood the test of time, and through the years, their legend has only grown. Their whole story is told in vivid detail in a new band biography called Trouble Boys from author Bob Mayer. I recently asked Bob what compelled him to write the book. Well, first and foremost, I was a fan of the music and a fan of the band for many years and had read all kinds of things about the magazine stories and there have been attempts to kind of tell their story in, in some books, uh, anthology-type things, and and uh, also in oral history. But I, I felt like the, the version of the story, of the replacement story that was out there, was a story that was told from the outside looking in, and I wanted to tell it from the inside. And I also felt that there was so much about the band that was almost presented as myth or legend or caricature in some cases of who and what they were. And I felt like all that was just sort of surface. And so I really wanted to to dig in and, and, and do the research and, and the, the due diligence to kind of try and understand the band uh, internally, in a sense, and, and the lives they led as people and the career they had as a group. For those of our listeners out there that maybe aren't familiar with the band, uh, this may be a difficult thing to do since you spent so many years <laughs> right. uh, on this. But what would you what would you say to those folks if you were going to give them a sort of uh, capsule description of of what the band is and why it's important all these years after they broke up? Well, the Replacements were a band from Minneapolis, started in 1979, broke up uh, at least in their original incarnation in 1991. So they're really kind of a band of the 80s. Uh, they put out eight records. Half of them were on Twin Tone, a local Minneapolis label, and half were for the uh, Warner Brothers Sire labels. And really, they are considered, I think, generally in, in people's hearts and in critics' minds as, as one of the most beloved, important, and influential bands from that period. Uh, that's and, and Paul Westerberg, their singer-songwriter, one of the great you know, songsmiths of, of his era and sort of voice of a generation in his own way. And that's one part of it. Of course, they're they're revered and regarded and, and wrapped in so much romance because of their wild antics and all these stories you hear about their shows and, and the way they performed and lived and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's a combination of factors that I think make them a really compelling story and an important uh, Minnesota story, too. You call the book Trouble Boys, and that's not a coincidence. Maybe uh, if you could tell me what it is about that title and what its origin is that uh, that that you chose that to be the name of the book? Well, it's actually the name of a uh, Dave Edmonds song or a Billy Bremer song done by Dave Edmonds. And it was one of the first songs that the band, the early replacements, really kind of came together on. Uh, they found their sound uh, rehearsing in the first few months uh, playing that song. And so it was a little bit of a flashpoint moment. And, of course, I like the double meaning. The replacements were a fairly troublesome group, mostly for their managers and their record label and people in the music industry. They were uh, very willful and uh, headstrong and, and did some things or didn't do other things that uh, that were kind of went against the grain of, of the traditional uh, uh, music business approach. So it had a trouble. Boys had a had a double meaning and and, and in some ways a, a triple meaning because they came personally from somewhat troubled backgrounds. So it seemed like uh, it, it had uh, multiple layers there that, that that made it an ideal title for the book. 
And you alluded to this just a moment or so ago, but how how much of an impact was their location or coming from Minnesota? How much of an impact did that have on them being trouble boys and being the group that they were? Oh, I think you, the thing about the replacements is so much of who they were and what they were came out in the band and in their music. So it's it's almost uh, inseparable uh, in terms of the geographic, the the socioeconomic, the the the, the time period that they came up in. Uh, these were folks that were uh, children of World War II veterans or coming out of that post-war era. Uh, it's a much different time. They were mostly blue-collar, mostly Catholic, very Minnesotan. Uh, and so all those factors, I think, were essential to who they were and how they sounded and, and the way they approached uh, them, their, their career, too, to a great extent. So all that's uh, very much wrapped in that, that, that uh, regional identity in, in, into their career and, and to their music. And, you know, we are here 35, 36 years later still talking about them. I think the, the primary reason for that is, is the songs. What, what is it about the songs that resonates with those of us who, who care and still listen all these years later? I think, you know, with Paul, it's it's a mix of things. I mean, naturally a gifted wordsmith, and it's a kind of, you know, he, he plays with words and plays with imagery in a really beautiful way. And, and But I think even more than that, there's a, an emotionalism that comes out in his songs that probably doesn't come out anywhere else. Uh, and, and so there's a there's a tremendous impact there. I mean, he says it himself. He, he would sort of mine his feelings for his songs. And I think, you know, you get a sense of that. He, his music and, and those songs, uh, particularly the ones he was writing in the, in the kind of uh, peak period between say 84 and, and 87 or and really throughout his career but in terms of replacement songs they they connected with people on different levels you know the, the, it was head music it was heart music it was gut music it was all those things and i think that's why those songs have lasted and become you know anthems and classics in their own right for not just for his generation but for successive generations well thanks so much for writing the book and sharing the story i really appreciate it thank you for having me on scott i appreciate it That's going to do it for this week. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.